you know, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation at a coffee shop down in Bel Air with this, this lady, and it was a, a great long conversation, but there was one thing she said that I think is, is a helpful for our, what we're thinking about today, and, and she grew up um, in the church, uh, but as of today, um, she doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. She believes he's a, a good teacher, a prophet, but there's nothing divine, nothing supernatural that has occurred or will occur. And she said this. She said, I, 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 w- I want to believe. I really do. Like, I want to believe, but I just can't get there. So please pray for me. And I think that's a, a common tension and a common struggle. Maybe you're there. If you're not, someone near you is, maybe in this room or definitely in your life. And so I, I want us to kind of really dig into this, this kind of tension, this struggle that we live in. As, and, and the reason why she can't get there is because she looks at the world around her. She looks at the difficulty and she looks at the struggle and she looks at the pain and she's just like, how can any of this be true if all this exists? So if you look around today and you see this struggle and you struggle to see that God is good or he, that, that he is a promise keeper, if sometimes you find it hard to fathom or just simply understand the claims of God as he has given and as he has made throughout scripture, um, if you've ever felt rejected, I mean, th- there was a rejection in that. If you've ever, I mean, she longed to believe and she's like, I'm, I'm on the outside. I can't get there. If you felt the sting of being confronted with your own pride, that's never fun. But if you felt that sting of like, oh my gosh, I, I, I think too highly of myself. I see myself as superior as my fellow person next to me. If you felt that sting, I want to tell you today is a good day. Today is a day where these things get addressed. And, and, and so I'm, I'm grateful for today. So today we are invited to understanding who God is and indeed that he is good. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 11. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 36. And if you're new with us, we're we're teaching through the whole uh, book of Romans in the Bible, which is actually a letter from Paul to the church in Rome. And it's kind of a pastoral, shepherding, caring letter. And so so this is where we're at. So this is the last section of Romans 11, and and as as Andy already said, it's kind of this wrap-up to this entire movement up to this point. There's been a couple of movements within the movement, but this gets us up to the point of this foundation of belief. And then as we go into next week in Romans 12, as Andy will be teaching, excited about that, it it begins this, this look of the implications of if all this is true, how does it affect how you live? And so, so we're kind of closing down this section. And I'm going to actually start with our closing verses today. We're going to look at Romans 11, th- 33 through 36 to start, and then we'll come back through the rest of it. So read this with me, and I really want you to kind of key in. Just, just do your best, whatever it takes, to kind of just for a moment take a breath. And then as we read this, listen to the words, what is being expressed what, you know, what are the depths of it here? So here we go. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Let's just read that again. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Exclamation point. Right? How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? 
for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And with that being said, let's pray. God, I pray right now that as we are here, each one of us, whatever our, our familiarity is with, with you and your truth and, your, and just the creation and your heart for us, Lord, that these words, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of you, God, Lord, that, that somehow we would be given a deeper insight, a deeper understanding, a deeper view of you as Paul is proclaiming here that we would see you as high above all others. We would see your ways as perfect and good and loving in all things. Lord, that we would, that we would be humbled before you and, and recognize that although we were created like you in your image and for you in relationship, you're also so different than we are. Lord, you're infinite in all that you are. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find a comfort and a security in the fact that all that is is from you. All that we experience that is good is through you, and all that, our, that is our hope is for you and to you. And, Lord, that we would be moved to a life that says, to you be the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so how do we end up here? Um, you know, what, what is... What got Paul to this point? And, and, and just thinking about this, is, and thinking about my friend at the coffee shop who says, I, I want to believe, I just can't, please pray for me. Like, does that resonate with you that you would love to be able to pray something like this with such confidence? And we'll see as we work through this, that so this is not some calculated outline that Paul is, is, is writing and following, like this is a spontaneous expression, like he's writing and he just gets enraptured and caught up and this falls out onto the paper, from his heart to the paper to an exaltation of who God is. I mean, would you want to be able to proclaim that with such purity and passion? Paul is, is like, like Andy said, we're, we're, he's closing out this, this section specifically of 9 through 11, um, where he's been addressing kind of God's salva salvation work, moving to the Gentiles, and how there's this, this kind of seeming rejection of the people of Israel, which if you don't know, were God's covenant people, the ones who he said, um, you are my people and I am your God. Through you, as I bless you, the world will be blessed. And now seemingly they are the ones who are denying him and, and been rejected. So he's been addressing that. But he's also closing out the entire letter. He's also closing out the entire letter where he has just done this, this extensive treatise of the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus. It's this extensive work of our salvation offered and accomplished in Christ. And so it's, it's, it's the doctrine of man, the understanding of who we are, that we were created by him, but that we sinned and fell. The, the work of redemption in Christ, that we're no longer justified by the law of works, but justified by Jesus in the work that he did and in our belief as we as we by grace through faith in Jesus come to this place of salvation. So he's been laying all this out and this is where we are. So this is, this is really wrapping all of this up. And so he, he's been, he started off earlier 
um, addressing the Jews and talking about the, the mystery of, of how the Gentiles could be now coming. Gentiles, by the way, is everyone but the Jews. And we've got to think in context here, right? So it's everyone but the Jews. And first, the mystery that Paul addressed was this mystery of how the Gentiles, the people that were outside of promise, could actually have full entry without having to become a Jew. No, they became a people of Jesus. So that's the first mystery. And now he's been addressing this mystery of, of now, wait, now what about the, the Jews? How is it that they can, um, can, can be restored as well? And so he's, he's, he did that really in clear view last week as he talked about um, being grafted in as Gentiles from the, you know, and then, again, I'm sorry, I'm trying to summarize quickly, but then how the Jews were part of the root and then they were cast off. Okay, read it if you haven't gotten there. Um, we can talk about it this week. But the whole point is that there's these mysteries that we're grappling with of how these covenant people were now not covenant people and the co- people that weren't covenant people can be covenant people. It's meant to be confusing because it's a mystery, but it's, but it's noble. Okay, let me get on track. I'm excited. Um, how many of you have kind of had this moment? So that the Gentiles, that they're like, Paul knows kind of what they're thinking, and just in case they're getting conceited, that is because of something they have done that has made them worthy to now be a part of the covenant, he wants to knock them back down. And it kind of makes me think about that class reunion fantasy, you know, how do you like me now kind of thing. Has anybody ever had that fantasy? Like, how do you like me now? You got one honest person. Um, yeah, that's maturity. Good job. We've all been there. Like, my two things, my, I haven't made it to any of my, my reunions, which my, my 20th, gosh, was three years ago. I haven't made it to you. Well, I haven't made it to any of them. But my two things would be I still have my hair. And I have a beautiful wife. Like, I would love walking in to proclaim those two things because that's not true for everybody. Um, that was probably the worst thing I've ever set up here. <laughs> um, I, no one linked this on Facebook this week, okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm sweating. Um, but, you know, it is this exact idea of, like, I was once beneath you or looked down on by you, and now I have either exceeded expectations or become superior to you mentality that Paul is addressing to the Gentiles. And he just wants again, to, he wants to remind them of, of who they are and how they are where they are now. And so he just got through addressing the Gentiles, as we've already said, um, and, and he was just reminding them, Israel as God's chosen people were neither rejected or demoted in order to redeem you. That didn't, that didn't have to work that way. God has given the people of Israel over to their own hard hearts. This is reviewing what we've covered already. Their own hard hearts and their own rejection of him. And now there are more Gentiles coming to redemption than there are people of Israel. Meaning that God's set apart people in Christ are more, are more and more the Gentiles instead of the Israelites at this time saying it's no longer just the people of Israel that are a people of promise, but all those that are in Christ are the people of promise. So Paul is just wanting to remind them, hey, in case you think you did this, don't forget, it was Jesus. It was my plan all along. I want, so Paul's, I want to make sure that we all get to where Paul is in these verses we just read. 
these ones that we started with at the end. So let's follow his train of thought to get there. So, so if you want to have the kind of response of worship that Paul did, you must have a right understanding of yourself and who God is. So Paul picks up where we left off last week and reminding the Gentiles they're not all that. So let's read that, 25 through 32. Thanks for hanging with me. Here we go. Lest you be wise in your own sight. It's another way of saying, like, in case you're conceited, in case you think you did this, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospels, they are enemies for your sake. They right there being the people of Israel. But as regards election, my chosen people, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Meaning I, they are beloved because I will keep my promises. For the gifts in the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient, speaking to the Gentiles here, to God, but now have received mercy because of their, the people of Israel's disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that me, he may have mercy on all. So what's happening here? If you recall earlier in Romans, Paul spoke to the Jewish people about the mystery of the Gentiles being grafted in, as we already said. And so now he's speaking to the Gentiles, addressing the mystery of how the the people of Israel are experiencing a temporary hardening of their hearts. Um, And so he, he says there's two reasons the Gentiles should be humbled. And the first one is this, they are not superior to the Israelites now. Just once again reminding, they are still a people of promise. They will be restored. And they didn't do anything to, the Gentiles didn't do anything to accomplish their own salvation. Again, it was the work of mercy. Again, this is working back through 9 through 11. This is the work of mercy. God shows mercy on who he wills. We have all rejected God, and and that's kind of our natural place. And then God, in his mercy, intervenes and steps in and softens the heart and calls in to salvation. So it wasn't that they all of a sudden did something great. It was, it was that God acted in mercy to them. So in fact, he's saying you should even be thankful because it was because Israel rejected Jesus that he was crucified. And salvation is possible through the atoning sacrifice on the cross. It is, salvation is directly available to you. As we saw in verse 28, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. So they've rejected the, tr- the good news of Jesus, that he was the Messiah. Therefore, they put him to death. He took your punishment. He took your guilt. So that's what Paul is reminding them of here. Saying, keep it in view. Verse 26 says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now that verse can be a sticky wicket. I say it's not. Um, we could spend all of our time today parsing out on, on like what in this way means or, or and what all means and who Israel is. What it means that, like, in, you know, thinking, how will they be saved? Um, so I, 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 we're not going to do that, but I do want to give you enough to understand. 
Um, So quickly, Paul's already made it abundantly clear throughout this letter that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and the power of God for salvation is the gospel, the work of Christ. Just a quick reminder, Romans 3, 21 through 26 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So just as all have fallen short, all that find redemption and justification is by grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that means a substitution by his blood. He took what we deserve to be, and that was to be received by faith, by trust. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So just first and foremost, we have to see that Paul is being consistent. This is assumed that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're working forward from there. So when we see that there will be, that the people of Israel will be saved, that it is somehow it's going to be a working of Christ. So now following the trajectory of Paul's teaching here in Romans, and specifically in this section of 9 through 11, it seems that Paul is referring to the nation of Israel. So it's the Israel, not all Israelites. So it's the nation of Israel. And, and, and we get this kind of reference where we, we kind of speak of a whole when it's not necessarily unanimous. I mean, the, like when we hear the nation was outraged by the violence. Not every single person of the nation was outraged, unfortunately, when we come to these situations. But we get this understanding, not, not every single person, but enough to say the nation. And so what we see here in view is that there seems that what Paul is saying in these Old Testament references in verses 26 and 27 is that at some point in the future, there will be a time that there is a great turning of the people of Israel to God. Not just turning to him, but trusting Jesus Christ as Redeemer, the Jesus Christ that has already come as Messiah. And I, you know, and I don't know if that's going to be in some great, like, massive revival, or if it's going to be some gradual work where more and more people of Israel are coming to Christ. I, I don't know that, but this is what we do know that at some point we will see a great turning of the people of Israel. And this is because God is a covenant keeper. He still cares for these people. He is still pursuing them and still sees them as his covenant people. And in Scripture, here's an interesting thing to make sure you recognize. This is helpful just for your daily pursuit of the Lord. When, you, when there is something that, that is not in full view, it's, it's not the main point. You do this intuitively when you watch movies. There are so many things that just flash by that you don't latch on to, that you don't care about. When you read books, when you're just reading a narrative book, you, there are things that you just kind of notice are important, and if, it, and if it's not a detail parsed out by the author, then it's not one that's important for that, for that story. And so right here, although there is great truth in what Paul is talking about, it's not in full view for a reason. There's still some, some mystery to our understanding for a reason, 
So I want to ask you a question. I want to read these verses again. This is a time for you to participate, okay? A little, a little Bible study time. We're going to read this again, and if I'm saying this is not what's in full view, we want to read this, and then I want to hear from you what you think is emphasized, what is in full view, okay? So I'm going to read this. How about, yeah, I'll read this. We're going to read 28 through 32 since we've already kind of focused on the other part. Here we go. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Okay, safe place. What do you see to be in focus here? What do you hear that's repeated or sticks out? I know you didn't come expecting this, so much grace. Now I'm going to count to 15 with silence. Damon. Disobedience and mercy. Good. Yeah, Megan. God allows it for him to be made more made known and glorified. Any other thoughts? Yeah, yeah, Derek. Uh-huh. Lots of talk between relationship between you and others. Yeah. It's good. I any other ones you feel like haven't been mentioned yet? Cool. Th those are those are the things that are in full view, and we'll kind of parse these out. And to get us moving, I want us to see that that what is repeated is mercy and God's faithfulness. Like that's the thing. That's the movement that what everything moves us towards. So do you see the aim of all that God is doing? He is working to bring people to his mercy, and he wants us to live in confidence there. I mean, 30 and 31, for just as you were at one time a d uh, disobedient to God, but now have, now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may not receive mercy. What's the, what is God doing? He's like, hey, this happened, and, and now you're, you're understanding mercy. You're experiencing mercy. God wants his people to know mercy, so what is mercy? Let's have another audience participation. This one's not in my notes, but what's a helpful definition of mercy you've heard? Not getting what you deserve. Geo, is that similar, different? Withholding the punishment someone deserves. We'll, we'll go with those because I think anything else is going to be close to that. Yeah, mercy is not receiving the punishment you deserve, right? That's, that's, and that, that punishment is, is important for mercy because to not receive, not to receive something good you deserve is, is not a good thing. Like that's, with, that's withholding. But to, to not receive the punishment you deserve, that is a gift through the negative, right? I mean, like, I'm sad when someone doesn't give me $1,000 I deserve. I am not sad when someone doesn't handcuff me when I deserve it, like, right? I have never been in that situation. Um, close a couple times. Um, speaking of, never mind, we'll come back to that in a minute. 
We will come back to it, though. Um, I love it when rabbit trails actually tie in, so we'll get to it. Um, But yeah, I mean, mercy is not receiving the punishment you deserve. And so just remember what Paul has laid out. None are righteous, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have rejected God. All that find themselves outside of God's mercies are there by their own disbelief, their own rejection. So we are all in need of mercy because we all deserve the recourse for that disobedience and rebellion. This, this makes me think, oh, we're back to it. This makes me think of a very short season I went through in 10th grade. It was about seven days. Um, I, I, I became a thief. I, my buddy and I, um, consequently his name was Heath as well, so the, the two Heaths that were thieves, um, he, he lasted longer than a week. Um, but, but he and I, we, like we would go around to gas stations, and it started at gas stations, and we would you know, steal candy bars and gum. And then it kind of escalated to baseball card packs. This was back in the mid-'90s when it was still worth doing. Um, and, and then, it, like I remember, like we were at Walmart, and he had a big pouch jacket, and he stuck a whole box of baseball cards in there. I was like, you're crazy. But we did it. And like we, so it was like this week of like this, this adrenaline, constant adrenaline rush. And, and, and so, but here's, here's the problem. The, the thrill of it was far overshadowed by the fear of punishment. I mean, like, I, I was paranoid. Like, every cop I saw on the street, I mean, I'm sure that they had an APP out for two 16-year-old kids doing petty theft that nobody knew about. You know, like, I, I was like, I mean, I'm just, I was terrified. I mean, I'm like, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, a cop would, like, smile at me. And I'm like, you know, he, he knows something. And it was, like, the worst week of my life. I mean, I was a wreck. I couldn't handle the pressure. I was always looking over my shoulder, just waiting for the punishment to come down, waiting for those handcuffs to go on. And so after seven days, I was out. I was, I was off the land. My crime days were over. Um, <laughs> and, and this is why mercy matters. It is, it is all too common for us to live this way. And it's interesting when I say for us, there are some of us that rightfully live this way, are rightfully waiting for the punishment to come down. There are some of us that wrongfully live this way, that are wrongfully waiting for the punishment to come down. If you are not a Christ follower, I love you. And because I love you, I want you to know that you are one who is rightly waiting for this punishment to come down. You are. If you have not trusted God's salvation and redemption in Christ, you, you're still living as a criminal. You're still living as one who is, who is living under the law. To say that, that we're not saved by the law doesn't mean the law is still binding, but it was satisfied in Christ. So therefore, you have still broken God's standard. You're, you're on the lamb. You're on the run and you're suspecting that you could get caught at any time. So as you find yourselves in these places of life, of life just not satisfying and you're achieving, but yet it just doesn't seem like anything or you're burdened with this sense of, 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 of something. Or maybe there are words to it. Maybe you just feel guilty. Maybe you just feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel that burden. And it's because it's real, but God's intent is not that you would remain there. 
I know that you're weary of living life looking over your shoulder, waiting for the punishment to come down, waiting for that consequence. If you're a Christ follower, when you lose sight of God's complete saving work of Christ by grace through faith in Jesus, you also forget the mercy that has come upon you. It's the, the, this old cliche illustration that I've been using since I was 19. But like, you know, it's the, the dog on the porch who sees the mailman coming and he just takes off charging the mailman and the mailman freezes in fear and all of a sudden the dog just like stops in his tracks and runs back to the porch and sits down and the owner walks out about that time and the mailman's like hey what's up with your dog what just happened he was like oh he used to be on a chain we took it off but he doesn't know it yet you know it's that that's that picture like if you are a Christ follower and you live burdened by guilt of condemnation you have forgotten that you are totally free and restored in Christ you have forgotten the mercy, the mercy where he took. It, doesn't, it wasn't just that he swept it under the rug. He satisfied it in Christ. That's why mercy matters. So if grace is, is, is this unwarranted favor or, the, or getting the rewards you don't deserve, Again, mercy is not getting the punishment you do deserve. And, it was, and it's the beautiful work of grace and mercy in concert. This life of joy and freedom in Christ is experienced. It's, this, it's where this life of joy and freedom and peace in the midst of a world that is struggling and that is hurting and that is just bombarding you with, with, with pain. It's where you can actually really know this joy, this peace, and this fulfillment and purpose. It is not due to your circumstances. It is due to the work of Christ and who he has made you and now how God sees you because of that. So if you are looking over your shoulder, feeling this punishment coming after you, you haven't called on Christ. He is calling you. He's inviting you. And if you hear him calling today, as we've said the last few weeks, do not harden your heart. Hear and respond. And what faith is, it is supernatural trust. It is trusting of God. It is trusting that he is who he says he is, that he will do what he said he's going to do, and he's done it in Christ. We do have a problem. We have a problem that we were created by a holy God for relationship to live holy lives unto him, and we, we severed that by, by our rebellion, by our sin, by being unholy, and therefore separated from God, and he restored us. And so allow God to take care of your sin problem because you can't. And I say that as an invitation and a gift. That's my prayer for my kids at every night. Like the simple prayer of salvation for them as six, seven and six-year-olds is, God, I pray that they know that you love them. I pray that they know that they have sinned and come short of, of you. And, th and they hear me pray these prayers. And, Lord, I pray that they would know they can't save themselves, but because of your love and grace and mercy, they can be saved by your son, Jesus. Let them trust you. It really does start in that simple, crazy promise. And this is why mercy matters. If you want freedom, if you want joy, it is in the person of God and how he has worked through his son Jesus. So to think about the implications here, first we have to be reminded of the problem that Paul had been addressing all throughout this letter. And this comes to what Derek was saying. It's this schism between the Jews and the Gentiles, the schism between two people groups, two races. And what is Paul saying? He says when, when we revel in God's goodness and mercy, we're no longer a pe people separated by some false line of distinction. Because believe me, it is false. 
It is, the, our diversity is a gift and we should never try to, try to like, you know, just make everyone the same. But it is no reason for separation. And that is the promise that is in Christ. That is the promise of God's mercy working because, because the punishment, the, the fracture, the, the brokenness is the one of relationship as was intended. And so for us in here today, if we want to see peace and justice and reconciliation of, of, our, of our community and world, we have to see ourselves this way and we have to see others this way. And we have to be moved to stepping out of what is comfortable and what is known into what is uncomfortable and unknown and having those, those kind of difficult conversations where we're, we're learning and gaining understanding and offering grace and, and being humble and inviting each other in to say for the sake of the glory of God, for the sake of, of all knowing his wonderful, matchless mercy and grace, I want to step into life with you. I don't want to be bound and prevented by these false divides. So if you care about that, you better dig into this. There is no hope for that kind of reconciliation without Christ. And, and I know that the church has not done well at this. I know that the church in our history has too often been the reason for such great divide. And, and I love my wife's testimony. She, she, was, she came to Christ when she was 20, and, it was part, and what kept her from Christ was seeing hypocrisy. And it was in the moment when God revealed to her, they are not me. I am me, I am unchanging, I am good. And that's God speaking. And she came to this place of, of, of understanding her own need and grace. And then she was able to see God for that and see all of creation in that way. And so this is our opportunity. The church has, unfortunately, failed in this all too often. Um, but we have this opportunity to step in as humble, teachable, and purposeful people. There is no distinction out of the reality and truth that we were all created by God in his image for his purpose and only have hope and purpose and belonging because of his mercy and grace shown in Jesus. Verse 32 says that he may have mercy on all. God's mercy is coming to all. When it says God's mercy is coming to all, I appreciate how um, one, one, one theologian and commentarian said F.F. Bruce he put it this way he said it is coming on all without distinction rather than all without exception so again thinking in the terms of a people and I love that the equalizer between all of humanity is not some intellectual breakthrough or some big big strategic effort it is God himself Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. No one is better. No one is worse. All are dead in sin, and all who call on Christ will be saved. So you, you want justice in the world. You want people to be motivated to love and help one another. We must live in this heart of flesh that has been turned from stone to this living, breathing, feeling flesh that has been given us by God where we love as he loves and fight fights for what he fights for. And then secondly, as is already alluded to, because of God's mercy given us in Christ, um, we can truly live free. We can truly live free. Redeemed 
to, to live free comes from being redeemed, and redeemed is a marketplace term. It is it's this idea when something is redeemed, it means that the asking price has been paid. So the work that Christ has done doesn't result in us being on loan or on layaway, where it's kind of, you know, we might come off the, the ledger one day. The work of Christ is complete. Our debt is fully paid and our punishment has been satisfied in Christ on the cross. So we said at the beginning that in order to worship like this, what Paul wrote, you must understand yourself and God. And so what we see is that we, we are all, we're all sinners. We're all futile and lost and dead in our sin without Jesus. But in Christ, we're under God's mercy and grace. We see that God is merciful. We see that he is merciful. And as Paul is moved to spontaneous expression of adoration to God, I, I want us to see God as Paul does. Once again, let's read these words. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Paul knows there have been some challenging teachings in his letter up to this point. He knows that there's been things beyond our present comprehension, even for his audience. I mean, if you read it, he is a master of kind of sitting in the seat of the, of the listener and addressing their thoughts. So just by looking at the questions Paul asks, you can tell he knows that people are wrestling. What I am most struck by is that this is not a cause for Paul to doubt God. And what am I talking about? The fact that there are things that are just beyond a full grasping and comprehension. But instead, it is motivation for Paul to worship him all the more. Verse 33 says, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. I mean, it is this unfathomable depth. It is, it is unreachable. 33b says the uncertain, 33b, the second part of 33, uh, it says that his judgment, his way of working and, and achieving is, is unsearchable and inscrutable, meaning there's, I, I don't, there's nothing that could ever be at fault with it. And we've said this a few times throughout these chapters that when all is said and done and we see God's judgment in full view, we will find it to be fully satisfying. We will find it to reconcile every thought and question we've ever had. And so he's, he's pointing out that, the, that there's just, I mean, God's ways are holy and perfect. They're holy, perfect, and satisfying. And he says in verse 24 and 25, he says, you know, wouldn't you want it that way? Going back to those verses just to make sure we're clear. For if you were cut uh, from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own tree? I think I meant to say 34 and 35. Sorry, yes, thank you for your patience. For who has known the mind of the Lord? He's for <laughs> or who has been uh, his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And he's going through a few Old Testament references, but he's just saying like, yeah, he's different than me, but, but wouldn't there are things I can't grasp, but don't you want it that way? Again, he is an infinite holy, sovereign God. 
and I am finite. You know, so we're coming to this moment that's agreeing with Isaiah as he proclaimed in another, in another moment, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our, our thoughts. And so as we think of God as the infinite and us as the finite, it is not just that our finite knowledge is straining to, to grasp his infinite knowledge, it's also all that God is is infinite, in, and all we understand it is in the finite sense. So his love, his kindness, his grace, his patience, his benevolence, Whatever you think of God and whatever we aspire to to know and whatever we get to participate in, we do it in only a finite sense and finite understanding, but God expresses it and is those things in an infinite sense. So whatever we are a finite expression of good, God is an infinite expression of that. Verse 36 tells us that we need from, that what we need from God is satisfied from before creation now in our lives and, our, and in our eternal hope. And that, that seems like a good closing point, but I want to point out one more thing to close. Um, these verses of worship are the close of what Paul has written up to this point, as I've already said multiple times. Um, and, and again, like I said to start, he is about to transition into the, the implications of our life lived unto Christ if all of this is true. So Paul's laid out our foundations of faith, our belief. There's been, it's been, like I said, such this theologically rich treatise of the gospel. And when we think about theology, what it is, is the study and understanding of God. It is a right understanding of who God is, knowing God. So here's my point. Our theology must lead to doxology. Our right theology must lead to right doxology. So we just define theology. The right is knowing God. Doxology is worshiping God. So right theology must lead to right doxology. Right understanding of God must lead to right worship of God. And if you think about it, we can't have theology. We can't have theology without doxology, nor can we have doxology without theology, right theology and right doxology, that is. Our theology must lead to these. So theology without doxology results in just intellectualism, results in academia, you know, just an academic approach to who God is. It results in legalism. And so if we have just doxology without theology, I mean, theology without doxology, that's what we get. But God is a personal God. He, he created us for relationship, and he restored us to be known and to know him. So we can't just have theology without doxology, but then true doxology, worship of God, cannot exist without right theology, understanding of God. If all you have is just worship of God without right understanding, it, it, it kind of just degrades down into idolatry, where we are worshiping something God wants us to be known, wants us to be known by him and to know him. And a worship, a life lived unto God, if you don't know him, while it's, it's, it's honorable, it doesn't honor him as much as living a life unto God as you know him. That's what honors him, and that's what he's invited us to. We must be a people of the word. We must want that um, because it is through knowing God that we actually have this life of rich, deep worship and devotion.
the scriptures must be a part of our private and public devotion if we are to embody this kind of spontaneous, overwhelming expression of worship. And so as we think about this, you know, we want to be a people of, of, of study and of perseverance and intentionality with how we dig into the word. We have to know that this pursuit of truth must result in living transformed lives and honor and pursuit of the living God. And so this is what God has invited us into. He's, he wants relationship with us. He's restored that relationship in Christ. He's also given us the means for knowing him all the more. And so to close our time and to lead into communion, I, I just, I want to open our time for us to kind of offer God prayers of love and adoration. Um, so in this time, I, I want to invite you um, just to speak out simple words of, of, of worship to God, even if it's just ascribing uh, words to his character. Um, you can do that just from your own reflections. You could also, if there's scripture that, um, that, that speaks of that, feel free to read those. Um, and we'll just open this time up as the band plays. Um, and, then, um, and then Matt will lead us through communion as the Lord leads. I'll start us off. God, you are good. You are holy and righteous and true. 